It's the Paddlewoo Podcast. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Paddlewoo Podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonson. Today, we are lucky to have a good friend and one of the biggest fans of the sport of paddle surfing back on the show, Eric Logan. Eric is the president of the Oprah Winfrey Network and now one of the most influential voices in the SUP world. He has found himself on the board of USA Surfing and in that capacity is actively working to build paddle surfing in the United States. Eric comes on the show today to discuss the future path of competitive paddle surfing, the current state of the industry, and we have a little technical discussion about boards. Of course we do. Uh, before we jump into the show, today's episode is brought to you by Blue Zone SUP, bluezonesup.com. Blue Zone is an all-inclusive paddle surfing retreat center in Nosara, Costa Rica. Um, check it out. And if you are a fan of the show, a lot of the guests have been down. Listen to the episode with Jason Cadillac to get an idea of the way that we coach and the experience that you can expect from that vacation. Also, I have started a Patreon page. So if you would like to support the efforts of Paddlewoo and the Progression Project, the podcast and the film, head on over to progressionproject.com and follow the link to our Patreon page. And there you can donate a small amount of money monthly or a one-time donation to help support the efforts of what we're doing in the paddle surfing world. All right, without further ado, let's jump in with Eric Logan. Eric Logan, thank you for being on the Paddlewoo podcast. How are you today, sir? I'm great, my man. How are you? I'm I'm all right. I'm all right. We're in Florida, you know, settling in. It's fun to do the show and reconnect with everybody. Well, we've missed you, but obviously you've done uh, you're doing you're doing amazing work there and much love to you and the family and uh, it's great to have Paddlewoo back up. I know a lot of people are like, "Where's the woo?" We yeah. got to get your bumper stickers going. Where's the, bring back the woo. <laughs> you know I mean, that I love it. That has actually been fun here. The uh, the amount of feedback I've gotten in the last couple of weeks has been it's been good. It's been cool to to know that people actually like it cuz sometimes you're doing this in a vacuum and you don't know. So that's been a that's been a cool yeah. process. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, great to be back, my friend. Well, right on. And a lot's happened since our last conversation, which was in February last year. And so I thought that we should start off with kind of what's transpired in your world in uh, the SUP realm and kind of how this whole process has happened, because it's an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, I think for those that didn't kind of go back, I mean, I, you know, if you just take a pause for just two seconds, it's, you know, I moved to LA when I started uh, running OWN for Oprah out here from running Chicago, uh, Harpo in Chicago. And um, my wife, sort of as a goof, got me a wetsuit as a joke on my birthday. And, you know, it kind of led me to the water. And, you know, I was a, you know, a grommet at the age of 42. And uh, so I kind of got into stand-up paddling and fell in love with the sport and started hanging out with uh, guys and meeting guys. And, you know, just, you know, I was just enamored with what it opened up this world of possibility. And um, just in a very organic way, just met people through connections I had at, at, in, in my professional life and then in my personal life. And then the two started blending together where interesting business opportunities became available and I was able to help sort of lean in. And 
so kind of stepping over all that, you get to a place where, um, you know, I would say, you know, right, right about the time we did our last podcast, actually, um, or shortly thereafter, I got a phone call from Greg Cruz, who is the executive director of, at the time, an organization called Surfing America. And Surfing America, for those of you on the, on the, I would say the shortboard side, is you know the program that puts on the nationals and the juniors and the junior teams and that compete in the ISA surfing championships. Uh, and most of the surf leagues would roll up into Surfing America. And, and he reached out to me, and Ian Carnes was uh, a member of the uh, of the board and the advisory board of putting on all the stand up side. And Ian was looking to transition to somebody else. Tyler Calloway was actually a board member, and they were asking if I wouldn't mind sort of stepping in as an independent person that really didn't have any conflicts. And I said, sure, why not? And um, what became very apparent in listening and observing our sport was there were some real immediate needs and attention that I felt if we galvanized a group of individuals, we could hopefully try to take our sport here in the United States specifically uh, a little bit more forward. And, um, you know, I got involved about the time we had to real quickly select our ISA team to go to Fiji to compete in the World Games. And, you know, through that process, it was very overwhelming of just how overly political it was or viewed at least at the time or, you know, many of the views that a lot of people had about how the team was selected. And so I said to Greg, look, I'm happy to really lean in on this and try to help lead not only at the time surfing America, but also where we are in terms of a stand-up paddle group in the paddle borders and trying to become better and improve from the, the groundwork. And so that's sort of where it kind of started. I'll kind of pause there for you, but yeah, that's, so that's what happened about a year ago. And it culminates into a place where we've now transitioned the organization into USA Surfing. We are uh, recognized by the United States Olympic Committee as what's called an NGB, which is a national governing board. Um, we've got the Olympics on the horizon, and we've got this huge dispute with the ICF uh, in front of the Olympic International Committee. So a lot of places we can go, but that's sort of the 30,000-foot view, my friend. Yeah, and that's such a tremendous thing to take on when you have your workload already, I'm sure, um, was there a lot of thought that went into the decision to become as uh, as involved in the stand-up game as you are? You know, it, um, here's the thing. It, I, I kind of don't overthink things when it comes to things like this. I sort of lean in and sort of let the energy sort of pull me into a direction and take a step at a time. Um, I'm not sure if Greg would have said, hey, I need you to help be an advocate for, uh, you know, USA Paddling, be involved in the board and involved with what we're doing with the Olympics and have conversations with uh, all these other nations that I would have in the onset, to be honest, probably said, yeah, I've got a lot of time for that. Um, for me, the way I look at a lot of these things is I sort of just lean in a little bit and kind of lean in a little bit more and, and see where the natural sort of gravitational pull kind of pulls me if that makes any sense. And so uh, in this case, you know, it just became very apparent that there was a lot of opportunity if we could not only get, if I would lean in, but if I could get other people around me to share the same vision and opportunity that we had for paddling, that we could really make some big steps, which we did this year. 
Yeah. And one of the big topics that we covered in our last show was the state of the industry. And you made some predictions uh, about a consolidation in the industry and uh, a little bit extra inventory that was going to need to sort itself out. And those seem to hold true. How do you think that you did? Where do you see where we are and where are we headed? Well, I think it's, yeah, I think it's still more more of the same is going to be more of the same. You know, I don't think anything's changed in a year that would reverse that trend. Um, I, you know, I know that there are there have been a number a number of companies that have either been sold, consolidated, and or are in play. Um, you know, I just know that as a fact. Um, I think you're going to continue to see that. Um, I think most companies are trying to solve you know large systemic model problems where they are way too top heavy. And they don't have enough sale through, if you will, of product and or any diversity of revenue lines. And, you know, one of the things when I talk about businesses, uh, and I say this a lot, and I said it with OWN here with, uh, with our network, is that trees don't grow to the moon. And that's a business analogy that I use all the time. And if you just think about it, no matter where you are, trees are all different sizes everywhere you look. And I think trees are a great metaphor for businesses. Even the biggest trees in the world, if you go to the redwood forest or wherever, there's a limit to how high they can grow. So I think as far as a business and also as an industry, understanding kind of where you are in your growth curve is so important. And, you know, I certainly think that, you know, we the, the best in terms of growth years for our industry are behind us. And I think what we have seen is a normalization of sales and a normalization of what the predictable cadence would be of our industry. So it's no longer growing as fast as it was. Now, what it doesn't mean is that we don't have a healthy industry. What it doesn't mean is that we don't have an opportunity for businesses to thrive and grow. I just think you have to think differently about it. I think you have to look at the business a little differently. And so I think that's what we're starting to see. And I think for, you know, if I were in that industry full time, I think that'd be something really fun to take on. How would you take it on? Well, I, I think I would think through the model differently. I would I would say, what are all the different ways I can add additional lines of revenue to my business? So, you know, maybe maybe certain board companies should also have media arms. Maybe certain board companies should be having content plays. When you have five, six, seven, ten different lines of revenue, all those lines of revenue probably more than likely would have different margin structures, and thereby you're not as dependent as just selling boards. Um, you know, selling a consumer who doesn't have a lot of space, who buys a $2,200 board and buys a paddle, call it 2500 bucks. You know, you can sell through that market very fast, but how are you keeping them engaged? Is, is there content opportunities? Are there accessories? Is there soft goods? Are there trainings? Are there other things so that companies need to think about their business as more of a lifestyle experience portfolio than an equipment portfolio? So I think thinking along those lines really can help us and it's things that I personally believe you'll see happen. That's the next sort of evolution. If I were, to, if you're going to ask me, which you probably will, what do I see? I think that's what you'll start to see. Yeah, I think we might have already seen that a little bit. I think people are yeah, starting you, to get people wise are to certainly it. pivoting. Yeah, yeah, totally. You're, people are pivoting to it right now for sure. It's been interesting moving back to Florida. Like my perception of a stand-up paddler based on what I was doing the last few years. And now what I'm seeing as a stand-up paddler, two very different people, because the people that were coming into my world were folks who 
uh, were really involved in the sport, focused on training, and then basically taking probably their best vacation of the year to come down and hang out. And that was the level of passion. And, and I'm a pretty frothy guy too. And so my view of what the stand up paddling world was a little microcosm of our, of our world. And it was that. And now I'm back in Jacksonville, Florida, living in a, a cool neighborhood right down by the beach. And I mean, there's probably five or six guys in the neighborhood that surf and everybody has a stand up paddleboard. None of them. I don't think would be customers, clients of mine down in Costa Rica, but they all paddle probably three or four times a day. Maybe two of them will get aboard this year. Um, and a couple of them still paddle with adjustable paddles. And it, it baffles, it baffles my mind a little bit to think that these are also guys who can surf at a decent level. It's just, they're not taking on stand up. And I don't know if that's a marketing issue. I don't know if that is a, um, uh, a money issue, uh, but they're not taking on stand or a time issue because everyone's a dad, you know, as well. But I don't know if they're not taking sure. on stand up the same way that they once took on shortboarding. It's a leisure activity here. And yeah, so exactly. the market is massive. It's just how do you get those guys to kind of hit the switch and take it to the next level? Yeah, that is, that, you know, and I think what you're describing there is a little bit. Going back to the tree analogy, that's the treetop. And that kind of makes my point that when you sell through the masses, or as we would say in conventional marketing terms, when you think of the five characteristics of anybody adopting anything, there's five categories. There's the innovators, there's the early adopters, there's the early majority, there's the late majority, and there's the laggards. So that bell curve with the two largest segments being about 66% of that being the early majority and the late majority, that bell curve, we as an industry are on the back side of the bell curve already. And the guys that you are seeing in Florida, in my opinion, are more indicative of the masses that are across the country. They're very satisfied with their water experience. They're very satisfied with paddling. There's no reason for them to flip a switch to go buy a, a, a more high-performance board or a non-adjustable paddle that's more graphite that has different blade angles and all the things that you and I get, do get frothy on. And when you sell through that, where do you go? It doesn't mean the sport's not healthy because participation is still high. It's just the industry's got to get around it. Now, how I would attack that is kind of going back a little bit to what we would talk about that is it's incumbent upon the brands, and as you know, I, I have got a few of them that I work with. It's incumbent upon our brands for us to find ways to communicate vibe, culture, coolness. And the brands then do matter because when people see brands and people want to buy into brands, it's emotional. It's marketing 101. It's like, how does that brand make me feel? And do I feel that I'm better or optically better or it helps me or whatever it may be? by putting on the pair of Nikes versus the pair of Adidas, or if I'm surfing a certain board or another board, that's where brands do matter. And then that's where the content piece comes into play. That's where the augmented experiences come into play that help all that. And you know that's where the group that you're with in Florida could potentially be tipped over. It's not going to be because you tell them about a new paddle. It's going to be because through their ecosystem, they're exposed to something that causes them to go, oh man, I should try that or I should do that. It's gonna be it's gonna come it's gonna come a completely different door. Yeah. And that's just conventional marketing. And these are guys that do surf, you know, most mornings. Oh, some of them surf more than I do, which is, you know, 
<laughs> it's awesome. That's saying a lot, by the way. That is saying a lot. <laughs> it's not saying as much as it used to, Eric. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you know, something else that I'm trying to figure out right now is, I don't know if you've watched video production. You mentioned marketing. You've mentioned media. Uh, the current crop, until this week when Kai Bates just dropped a good video and Kiahi yep. has dropped a good video, it was it was pretty meek there for a little while. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our brand's not incentivizing. What's happened with the kind of the race to output the best in, in the sport? Um, I thought we were going to see a resurgence of that this year with the uh, Waterman League bouncing back a bit and the, I thought, a great games there in Fiji. I thought everyone was going to be motivated, but you're not seeing the content yet. It's cost. I think it, I think it, 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 there's a couple of things. I think, you know, number one, at the end of the day, you know, that's not cheap. And uh, they cost money. And also they cost time, you know. Um, and I think they're, they're complex to do. And if, if video drops, if a five-minute video or a 10-minute video or whatever it is, and, you know, I, you know obviously you're, the, the fans of the podcast will soon see that, you know, there's a project of which you're a part of, I'm a part of, yep. and Brent Deal's a part of, um, that, you know, we're, we're, we're really focusing on a different type of content. We're focusing on storytelling, not necessarily surf porn. And I think that the quality level becomes hard because it is hard to tell good stories. It is challenging. It, it is an art. And I think what people are realizing is, am I just going to do another rad video of me doing an error or look at the tube ride or whatever it may be? Because there's such a saturation of that. How does that evolve? And that evolution requires money. Now, yeah, not a but, lot. Hold but, on one know, second. But it requires time. So, sorry to cut in there, but that's an sure, important part of our sport right now because the sport is still progressing at such a fast clip that new moves are coming out, new tweet turn variations, all of that are coming out at a frequent interval. And so I think Absolutely that those right. I think that the the gap in these videos is is holding the sport back a little bit because you're not the global exposure to the progression of the sport is slowing right now. And, it is, and I think, you know, and people and people have got to embrace it, and so that's part of the reason why you know when I was saying earlier is like you know that that's where you know organizations and companies really need to be looking, which is as those progressions happen, and if I were somebody who had a company and I had talent that was doing the things that my my paddlers would be doing, it's worth it for me to invest in them and showcasing that on my board because it, there's a symbiotic relationship by which that happens. And when industries move into a regressionary period, which is what I said a year ago, and I still think we are in it as an industry, what happens is spending, I'll make a number up, $10,000 in video drops if I were a major brand, I'm not going to do that anymore because I need to save that $10,000 because it could mean the difference of somebody's job for three months or not. Yep. And so you become very defensive. And that's what winds up happening when you go through what I would call downturns. We are in a sales downturn and an industry downturn. And again, I think it's very different, as you and I are talking about, I think we're in violent agreement in this, that it's not a participatory downturn. I think the participation no. in our sport are at all-time highs. I would bet it's that. Like we have to, yeah, we have to think differently about how we want to engage the consumer behavior and drive business. That's a different problem. And a year ago, what I was saying, and I still think it's applicable, is a lot of us in this industry – 
and I wasn't part of it, but when the industry was exploding and growing with growth and everybody was buying boards and boards were flying out everywhere, pre-inflatables, by the way, I think everybody was like, this is great. This is going to last forever. And we sold through the market. And now that's where we are. Yep. It's not a durable good in the same way that a surfboard is, a shortboard. No question. Yeah, you go snap a shortboard, and you know you can get one for four hundred yep. bucks, six hundred bucks. I mean, you snap a sub, it's twenty five hundred. Yep. You know, you think about it; it's like three, four, five times the cost. So, you know, you're you're buying that one tweener quiver killer that you and I we can talk about for hours that handles in big surf, can get into some smaller stuff, and it doesn't require a lot of space in my garage. I mean, that's the other thing that people you know talk about a lot too. It's like how many eight twos to nine twos boards can I have in my garage? Not many for most people. Yeah. Before we jump into the uh, USA surfing, which I really want to do, let's just go through. This is, you know, normally a technical uh, paddle surfing podcast. Let's go through what you're riding right now and what you're liking. Oh boy. Yeah, man. (laughs) Let's have some fun. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, all my all my all my friends that I I surf with, they're they're frothing over this one. What are you? What are? Uh, um, so, um, no surprise, I'm a huge huge fan of Infinities. Uh, Dave Bainey is a great friend of mine, partner, and I'm just blessed to be in business with uh, with Dave and the Infinity guys. So, so again, in, it's not a shameless plug. It's truth. That's really all I ride. Um, <laughs> I will so say I that will you- Dave is doing a great job right now with the brand watching that all come together over the last couple of years has has been he's done a great job with it over there yeah i think he really is blazing a brand new trail and you know it's it's just fun to be a just to be a part of it i mean dave runs infinity he's the brains behind the brand um he's the lead designer he's the team guy and you know i always say to people it's like you know infinity begins and ends with dave bainey and if you don't believe me just hang out with him on the beach you know we just had our nationals last week on an oceanside you know it's cool you know nobody knows or cares who i am which is great but dave's on the beach people are like hey dave and he's the brown blur and you know there's a great vibe with all the his culture that he's created so he deserves a lot of credit so you know it's it's a lot of fun to watch um but I would tell you, so my two favorite boards right now, and I've got plenty of them, um, uh, my absolute favorite board is his new model called the New Deal. And I, I, I kind of have done the same thing that you did, as you talk about often, the race to the bottom to see where it is, and then kind of coming back up a little bit. So uh, there's a, I'm riding a 9 28. Uh, interestingly enough, it's about 105, 107 liters. So if you just imagine that, the rail line is very thin. It's about a three-inch rail. It's very smooth thickness. Rails are a high-performance rail. Um, it's a new design he made last year, and I have found it to be my go-to board in literally everything. I had it down in San Onofre a couple weeks ago, and it was head high. And I normally would be like frothing on my shorter board to rip it. But the design is such, you run it as a thruster, and it's fast because of the rail line. It gets into early of everything. It is absolutely the quiver killer. And, you know, it's it's a beautiful shape. Um, the second board I just picked up last week is a 711-27 B-line, which is the Giorgio Gomez model. Um, little tippy, me and my accelerated, it's 85 liters, which yeah, is buddy. very low. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting at Manhattan Beach, and all the shortboard guys are. I mean, literally, I've gone down in status because I can, can't stand up on it. Uh, <laughs> but I'm getting there. But it's, uh, I wanted something to really push me and challenge me. And I feel like you. I got the boards below my, you know, I'm sinking it to my ankles, and it's a lot of work. And you know, at my age, I'm like, man, I'll just go grab this new deal. Let's just take it back out. It's fine. <laughs> so uh, I kind of, I kind of got on the both sides, but uh, I, I am on the other side of the race to the bottom now. Kind of, you know, I've talked about this offline many times and uh, I kind of like the point of stand up paddling is to stand up, you know, not to be like, you know, struggling to get into something. And so Dave's done a great job. I think of designing this new deal board to accommodate basically everything from overhead to, you know, ankle slappers. Nice. I've gotten a chance to ride a couple of those. I, I do like them. S- similar to uh, like like what Kalama and Colin ride a lot too. Very, very similar type. Uh, well, and that's the thing. You know, I always say to people, it's like, oh, are you sure you can really rip? Because, you know, you get really frothy watching Bainey surf, you know, his matchsticks and watching Giorgio and those guys surf those, you know, 24, 25-inch wide boards. And it's like, wow, man, I don't know if you can really do that on a 9-0. Sure you can. Google Colin McPhilds, Dave Kalama, and trust me you it, it can be done those guys can do it and or when just, i when i start doubt, doubting myself i'm like i just look i watch colin surf it's just like good lord he's so good on those big boards yeah or just wait a couple months because the film that uh that we did will showcase a lot yeah. of that surfing and i should <laughs> yeah, i should I make a note here to what you said earlier in regards to the project that we did first off thank you very much thank brent deal so much for stepping in because what kind of what's going on in our lives right now that project was going to be backburnered for a bit and so that was a beautiful partnership edition and then i can't take credit for the story that has come out of this like we we got the ball rolling here but i would say that i kind of took care of the surf porn part and then you guys are weaving this beautiful story so i think that you guys deserve the credit for that one yeah. Well, listen. You know what? It's uh, it's a it's a great partnership. I mean, you you guys you've done a great job capturing everything, and you know that's one of the things too. It's a great example that, that to your sort of prior question of like kind of how my relationship in in our sport and meeting people has organically happened, and you know we organically meet one another. I see you a couple three times. You know, at Costa Rica, we talk, and this project comes up, and one of the things that I think I can help you know, in this area is storytelling. That's what I do for a living. And so it becomes a great way for us mutually to help one another. And I think when people see this project here before too long, uh, I really think it can ch- elevate and change the narrative of the type of storytelling we can do in our sport. Other sports can do what they want. I- I'm more focused about our sport. Yeah. And that'll bring a, a, such a cool audience to the table. So yeah, much and you know what? It's, it, that's the type, it, it's, it's the type of content when you hear Dave and you hear Colin and uh, also Bainey talk about being a father, talking about their children, talking about the history that, that t- to me kind of making it full circle for a second, that is the type of content. That's the type of storytelling that will reach that group of sup dads, as we would say, that you're paddling with in Florida. That's the type of content that will connect with them because we can connect with them on an emotional level. And once you sort of open up that heart space a little bit from a content perspective, then you have the ability from an industry perspective, and we're not selling anything with these films yet, but not from an industry perspective is that people will then be like, oh, wow, well, what is Dave writing? What is Colin writing? And then, you know, that's the type of engagement I think our sport can absolutely deliver on because of who's in it. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. And I'm super excited yeah, for this cool. uh, yeah, next too. few months in the process. All right. Let's jump into the USA surfing and what's going on. Sure. 
um, where you guys are kind of taking the whole world of stand-up paddling right now. It's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, so um, let me kind of outline and put into layman's terms kind of what USA Surfing is tied into the Olympics, and then maybe we sort of kind of end with this ICF, uh, ISA, stand-up paddling debate that I think a lot of our folks are seeing. Um, I'll sort of begin with the end in mind here that this is not an easy issue to understand. There's a lot of short letters and names and organizations and how it works, and uncandidly, a lot of politics, too. Um, and But I will say, I think it's a critically important topic for all of our paddlers, specifically the ones in the United States, and I think it's a global issue for sure, to understand the debate between these two international federations, the International Canoe Federation and ISA, which is the International Surfing Association. And I'll kind of walk us through kind of what that is in a second, Eric, but maybe taking a step back because everybody's keenly aware that surfing's in the Olympics and as a board member of USA Surfing, I wanted to walk through what that is because there's been a lot of questions that I've got uh, organically about what is that. Before you jump into that real quick, Eric, will will you give uh, just a quick overview of the organizations that you are advising in the surf world just so we have, because you're involved with a few. To get the whole picture. I do, I do have, yeah, so I, um, I do, uh, sort of, sort of a big picture, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a partner with, uh, Laird, uh, with Laird Apparel, uh, he's, I'm an investor in that and work with the great team over there with Tim Garrett and work with, uh, uh, uh William Crowley and Laird and Gabby and everybody, and that's, you know, that's, as you can imagine, bowls of fun bowls of fun i get invited to the pool workouts of which i'll never participate i did one i almost died so i'm done i'm good so, <laughs> i get a, i get a fair amount of static from him but that but i love him like a brother um i i, I have a, a surf shop my partner jason shanks it's his shop um i just invested in it and nico kai cafe a lot of people see that on my feed i'm always hanging out having burritos and beers that's a manhattan beach and that's a, it's a great fun time um uh, i have uh, partnered with dave bainey with a company called Shred and Speed. Um, a lot of people are like, what is Shred and Speed? Well, what Shred and Speed is, it's the entity that is the production arm of Infinity Surf in Dana Point. So Infinity Surf is, is the company that Steve Bainey and Barry Bainey have and had have uh, for many, many years, 1971, I believe. And obviously legendary Hall of Fame board shaper. Uh, Dave and I created Shred and Speed together so that we could sell the Infinity brand internationally. And he and I were talking one day about how do we take that great brand and make it accessible to the world. And so our production lines have been what we've been focused on there. So that's been uh, a tremendous uh, amount of fun there. And then, you know, outside of that, you know, I'm very close with uh, people like Dave Kalama, um, Jimmy Terrell, um, and you know they they take me over the wall and and into their lives quite a bit and helping them in an advisory role there. And then you know I'm I'm also involved with you know a variety of other you know businesses too, just sort of tangentially, whether or not it's the Los Angeles Clippers to owning owning a sweat lodge in Los Angeles. So I've kind of got my fingers in about a hundred different places. Now let's move to this ICF issue, which is okay. really uh, an important one. Um, and, and it, it did. It, it is connected to the Olympics, by the way, and and, it, and it's connected in a very interesting way. 
Um, this debate has been sort of circling for a while. Um, and the reason why it really landed prominently, not only on our radar, but in other radars, is the moment that surfing got moved into the Olympics. Our charter at Surfing America, our bylaws, say that we recognize the ISA as the governing body for SUP. And what happened was, because the ICF is a current member of the International Olympic Committee, which resides in Sweden, they, the canoeists and the kayakers are there. And they have, in some territories, they view themselves, in some countries, as the governing body for stand-up. The principal argument is, they have a paddle. And this pr second principal argument is, early stand-up and even recent stand-up look like modern-day canoes. You're just standing fully up in a canoe with a sunken hull. So, and there's some of the nuances to the ICF point. But what happened specifically in our case is as we were going through the process of being accepted by the United States Olympic Committee, or as you commonly hear, USOC, we were sending our bylaws up as USA Surfing, including SUP. We got a phone call a few weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, and Greg was told and said, listen, you, we do not recognize that SUP is governed by the ISA because it's currently under dispute with the International Olympic Committee. The International Olympic Committee does not have an issue with surfing being managed by the ISA, but they say there is some confusion of whether or not the Canoe Federation or the ISA has stand-up paddling. So what happened was, was we then had to remove stand-up from USA Surfing, get our bylaws approved, which happened, and we made the announcement yesterday, that USA Surfing is officially, as of yesterday, which would have been, I guess, whatever. Congratulations. Is, yep. is, is now the NGB for the United States Olympic Committee. So, and what the next step of the process is, so there's, there's a lot to chew on there, but that's part of the reason why you're starting to see the articles pop up kind of all over the place, because what's going to happen now is interestingly enough disputes about who manages sport and who manages the, the different aspects of sport is not a new thing there's been many people in many countries that would sort of go back and forth and argue about it so the international olympic committee actually set up with what is a sport arbitration court and so i don't know the exact date but it is soon that there are there will be arguments made in front of a court on behalf of the International Surfing Association, who we in the United States recognize, and the ICF, as to who and what is the governing body for stand-up paddling. And whatever that decision is will be who the International Olympic Committee sanctions as the governing body for our sport. Is there a preference? Well, clearly for us at USA Surfing, there's no question. It's the yep. ISA. Yep. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, when you sort of look at the facts, you know, of from what ISA has done, you know, it is very long and very broad. You know, it, it's the thing where when you look at it since 2012, the ISA is the only association that's been put on the world champions. Uh, world championships for stand-up paddling um there's both we, surfing and racing is, surfing and racing absolutely yeah yep. and so you know and also paddleboarding too by the way you know um, yes and, and so that's the other thing to remember there's a whole other discipline that's part of this um one of the beautiful things about 
the ISA and with the work that Fernando and Robert have done is, you know, they have put forth many specifications and rules for competition. I mean, the 12 six length of a race board, the types of courses they'd be, uh, what, what are the governing bylaws of the sport internationally? All those things that international associations do, or what they call international federations, IFs as they call them, those types of things have a ripple effect in the business. You know, if all of a sudden, you know, a different international federation said, hey, you're going to start racing SUP boards that are 17 foot long, and that's the mandatory thing, you know, they, they may argue why it's great, but that may be, that could decimate an industry. So there's, there, there, there are many, many political ramifications, you know, about what could happen to an industry. What, you know, we can debate the health of the industry, as we talked about earlier, based upon the decision that happens. You know, and one of the fundamental things I would say too that that's interesting is that you know the Canoe Federation takes a very simplistic view, and they have their arguments, and I encourage people to read both sides of this. But you know, one of the fundamental things that they say is that because we use paddles, that they are the Canoe Federation and the Kayak Federation, that you that they should have the oversight of that. And you know, I've been on the record saying this several times that you know there are probably at least five, if not more, you can count sports that use a round ball, ping pong, golf, bowling, baseball, basketball, just list. There's no federation that governs round ball. Each one of them individually have different international federations that manage their sports internationally. So the virtue of the fact that we are floating on water and we are using a paddle thereby does not immediately mean that we are subject to what the Canoe Federation has. Where, where do folks like Larry Kane or OC1 paddlers fall into this yeah, uh, OC, debate? Because uh, a lot of them have come to paddle totally, surfing or to pad, to, yeah, they, to racing. They, they, do, they do, and I think it's 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 sort of what they know. I mean, what's interesting is is that the the, the canoeists, you know, on our advisory board, you know, we have Jim Terrell, who right. is a four time Olympian in canoeist. Yeah, perfect and example. He is you know one of the most outspoken people about this. That the Canoe Federation, as far as the United States go, which I'm the advocate for, they're invisible when it comes to stand up paddling. It's like when you talk to pure stand up paddlers, they've never heard of the ICF. They don't even know what it is. When you talk to obviously great paddlers like Danny Ching, who obviously are you know world champions in six man and OC ones, they obviously know who they are. But in, in our case, that the ISA has been the International Federation and has demonstrated that through course and performance for, for many, many years. Um, but it's a, it's a very passionate debate. I was reading something, in fact, this morning um, you know, from Annabelle Anderson, you know, and she's taking a very Switzerland view, God love her, which is, can't we just all get along and maybe create a new federation? Uh, I'm not sure that's going to work either. Um, but... You know, I think the path we're on is a path of arbitration. I think the path we're on is a path of making sure all of our paddlers understand the debate and finding ways to read about it, learn, and voice their opinion through social media. And, you know, and, that, and that's really the, the key issue right now. Well, it feels to me like in watching the ISA for the last three years and for Fernando, he's been working for this. This has been his goal. And it would be it would, it would be difficult, I feel, to to take it away from from that side. Yeah, and you know, and listen, I mean, it's it's a it's a very passionate, heated uh, debate. Um, in you know, and I give Fernando uh, 
so much credit. I mean, we're we're an Olympic sport in surfing because of the work that Fernando did. Let's be very clear. Um, you know, he and, and we have an international competition every year, and we can talk about what we just did this past weekend with USA Surfing and the sub for the first time ever for our team going to Denmark. But you know, we have this. We have team competitions. We have international competitions because of Fernando. Um, it would be very hard, um, and it's very hard to imagine our sport all of a sudden being managed by somebody completely different. Yep. Well, that was a good segue into what you guys did this last weekend. I've heard a lot of recaps from the contest, and I heard it was a great event. Why don't you fill everybody in on, on the event that took place? It was a lot of fun. I mean, we, um, you know, one, as I was saying earlier, getting involved with, uh, at the time, you know, Surfing America, um, you know, coming together with, you know, Greg, and putting together a coaching staff led, you know, we have Brody Welty, Dave Bainey, uh, Steve Schlins, um, in our advisory panel. Um, we really said we have got to change the way we select our team. And we set a path that this year we would have the team slots for the ISA team be selected by performance on the water. And so what we did at Oceanside this this past weekend in conjunction with an existing event that we had, we extended the permits and we had a two-day comp. We had we had technical racing, we had surf uh, surf sup uh, for uh, stand up paddler surf, and we also had a uh, distance race. And those results would be how we would select not only our international team, but we also would crown national champions in under 18 and over 40 at the same time in all these disciplines, trying to really open up more participation in it. And I'll tell you, Eric, it was great. I mean, you know, we had a really solid turnout. We didn't have a massive turnout for our first time. We had a really solid turnout. And it was, as I kept saying to our coaches, I go, it may not be the biggest field because I just paddled in Santa Monica the week before. It's not the biggest field, but it's the right field. It's everybody who not only should be there, but had expressed an interest to be on the team were there. And you want to know what? Here's the great headline of this whole thing was that for our team, we have five first-time new competitors for the ISA. Excellent. That I, that I think, honestly, we would not have five people on this team had they not had an opportunity to prove themselves on the water. Um, and it's, it's very exciting. I mean, Noah Hopper has been on the front doorstep you know, countless times, and he won the distance race, beat the field. And, you know, and Noah's a national champion, and he's on the team, and that is unbelievable. Jade Housen makes the team. Uh, Fiona Wild came down from Oregon. She makes the team. So, you know, that to me was so gratifying and so gratifying for our coaches to see that happen. And so, um, next year, the, we've gotten so much interest and so many people just came down and watched and they want to get in. We're going to have to next year without question at a third day. Uh, and this is going to be uh, a highlight, I think, of you know USA Surfing and having these national paddle championships. You think that it'll just be a one-day event again, or will you try to do some feeder comps to get the field correct? Well, you know, it, it, we're going to... There's the thing that we, we wanted to do regional events and have regional qualifiers to get in. Um, I don't know. It's too early to tell. I do think what we'll do next year for sure, because we did these, th- these two events, uh, sorry, these three events over two days, is we're going to expand to three days. And uh, my inclination is what we probably will do is we're probably just going to open it up to anybody who wants to come compete. And if we get more people and we need to run heats in the technical race or, or, or add surf heats, which is what you would need to do, or 
flight the distance race a little differently to accommodate a larger field. Easy to do when you extend the permit by a day, and we can gotcha. accommodate that. Um, I think that would be the next right step versus trying to open up many other regionals to qualify for that one. That is the dream, though, by the way. I think it would be fantastic to have an East, East qualifier and a West qualifier in the Nationals. I think that that's part of the vision over the next two or three years, but I think we just need to take the next right step for 2018, and I think that's what we'll do. Well, it's a big step already because I know that after um, team selection in the last two years, previous years, I have received some commentary uh, about how things decisions were made whatnot it's water under the bridge at this point but uh it is it is the right track for the sport and it takes away a lot of the politics and that's fair for the athletes and so that's a good thing when these guys have you know they work their lives for this it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a you know an arbitrary decision yeah and it, it yeah, and look, I mean, uh, Giorgio Gomez and Candace Appleby and people who you would assume, you know, obviously Sean Pointer, you know, you, you win a huge surf field, you know, and Sean Pointer wins and Giorgio Gomez is second. Okay. <laughs> you know, they had to go through heats, they had to beat people in heats, and then they had to fight it out in the finals. So, you know, Candace Appleby had to win the distance and had to win the and had to win the technical race to get on the team. So, you know, there's no automatics. There's no automatics. And I, I mean, I... I was just so happy for the paddlers. I mean, it, it was palpable for just looking when I when 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 Jade when, when Jade was there and she crossed and looking at Fiona, you know, because she didn't quite make it in the tech, you know. Then she got the team slot on the distance. I mean, it was like wow, you know, it was so gratifying for me through the whole process to watch that happen, and then watching Sean watching Sean and Giorgio go wave for wave to win the national title that is that's what you want that is what we want and it was so great and i just think next year we it will be bigger and better and now that we've established it more people will have it will be ahead of it more people will be there and i think it only strengthens our team so i'm i'm pretty fired up by it as you can tell yeah no it's beautiful and it's it's great what you're doing with the sport i mean the sport um need somebody like you helping at this point in time and so it's a beautiful thing it's just it's just beautiful that you have the time and and are are apt to do it so huge thanks well, from everybody you, out you, there you, you, well you're welcome you, you you told me a secret down in costa rica uh, about ginger shots so i take those often wake yeah, me man. up keep me moving so I, I, they're that, good that was a secret though now man <laughs> I know, I know, but it's a freebie. Uh, listen, there, there, here's the thing. I mean, all I, I, I don't try to overstate what it is I'm doing. Um, I, what, what I hope to be doing is trying to help through however way I can lean in and lead an existing group of terrific people that need some more support in things possibly off the water. There, there's really nothing I can do candidly for the sport that I love so much on the water. I mean, I'm not good enough to do it. I'm not good enough to, to, to make a living at it. I'm not good enough to do any of those sort of things. The only thing I'm good enough is to go out there and to quote Laird Hamilton, be the best surfer in the water every day because I have more fun than anybody else. And that is all I can do. Outside of the water, to the degree that I can help have higher level conversations with the chairman of the USOC, whether or not I can help us think through complex political issues, navigate legal issues, navigate negotiations or whatever it is, which is what I do more often than not in my real life. If I can marry those two and then help galvanize people who've been working at this for decades 
it's great. I, I mean, I, I'm stepping into an opportunity to elevate the sport based upon a lot of work that a lot of people have done. I mean, you know, it all started with Laird, all started with Dave, as we know. You know, I, I, I'm, Ian Carnes was down at our event. He was surfing. He won the sub surf over forty. Um, Kanga, he he's done a lot, and it's not to be minimized. And and I'm very very aware and very proud to try to help take the next step. And then there's going to be somebody that will take it from what we're all doing collectively now. And so that's the that's the intention and, and my absolute um, honest answer as to why I'm doing it. Well, it's appreciated. And your time is appreciated as well. I know you are a busy man, so I will get back to your day. So thank you, Eric Logan, for being on the Paddleboo Podcast and all the love you show the sport of stand-up paddle surfing. You too, bud. Hey, appreciate you as well. Thank you for doing this. It's the Paddleboo Podcast.